more. That's right. Hold on just a little more. Our hope is in what? In the Lord. That's right. We do need encouragement, don't we? We always need encouragement. Well, I want to I want to ask you a question this morning. Have you have you ever had a, a really deep conviction about something um, in your life that that you believed without a shadow of a doubt that that was the truth, and you were deeply convicted about that? But as time went on, you met uh, maybe a person or, or a group of persons that you really liked, um, a group of people that that you admired, that you respected. And uh, But they challenged that conviction. You were kind of surprised. They didn't believe like you did about that certain conviction. And you were kind of surprised because you liked them. Like I said, you respected them. And maybe it was a group of persons. But along the way, the more you talked about this particular subject or, or this particular convention, uh, conviction, um, you became uh, kind of in a, in a crisis of faith, if you will. Anybody ever been there before? If you haven't, I can promise you that you will, at some point in your life, have a crisis of faith. And that's not a bad thing. That's where you grow the most in those crises of faith. And God does that. We see it all through the Bible. But maybe, like I said, these people made some convincing arguments. Maybe this person about this conviction of yours. And you say, I know what I believed about this my whole life, but now I'm not sure. This person's arguments has, has made me think about this. So did the foundation of truth of your belief or faith change? Or did something happen? And it doesn't always have to be a person that talked you into it or argued with you or made some points. It could be just something that happened in, in a certain season of your life that made you go, I, I don't know anymore. I'm having a crisis of faith. Or maybe someone made some arguments to convince you differently. Or did you just decide that the foundational truth of your faith was no longer true. That's a tough moment to come to. And like I said, I'm sure there's some of y'all out there that have been there. And you will go through that. And again, it's not a bad thing. But I say that to say this. A couple of weeks ago, and maybe y'all have heard this in the news, a guy named Joshua Harris, who was the author of some best-selling books, I think in 97 he wrote a book called I Kiss Dating Goodbye. Anybody remember that book? Okay, Some of y'all may have read that. It's real popular he was a young man, I think he was maybe in his 20s, maybe even younger than that, and he wrote this book, and he had a lot to say about dating, especially for those who called themselves Christians or followers of Christ, and there were some pretty um, strict things he was saying you should do about dating, and it, it was popular among churches and youth groups and some of that kind of stuff. But then about three years later, he wrote a, a sequel to that book called Boy Meets Girl, and there were some other things about dating and marriage and and you know, his Christian faith and, and how that all navigate through the whole dating and marrying and all those kind of things. And, but last week, or a couple of weeks ago, he announced uh, that his wife, Shannon, and him were separating. And that kind of sent shockwaves. He was a mega church pastor for a while. I don't think he is anymore. But that kind of sent shockwaves. Like, well, how's this guy who's wrote all these books on relationships and the importance of marriage and all that is all of a sudden separating from his wife? And then on his Instagram, I don't know if it was this week or last week, he said this about his faith. Listen to what he says. I have undergone a massive shift in regard to my faith in Jesus. The popular phrase for this is deconstruction. The biblical phrase is falling away. 
By all the measurements that I have for defining a Christian, I am not a Christian. Many people tell me that there is a different way to practice faith, and I want to remain open to this, but I'm not there now. Now, I was pretty surprised, y'all. A lot of people were surprised. How can somebody that was a mega church pastor who wrote all these books about relationships and how strong he was in conviction about his faith in Christ, how can all of a sudden you get to this point where you're saying, I'm not a Christian anymore and I'm not sure what I believe? Now, to be fair to Josh, I would encourage you, if you're interested in this at all, to go to his Instagram and read other things that he wrote in addition to this because I'm just taking out a thing and making it work for my sermon. You know how his preachers do. Because he said lots of other things, and those were no less disturbing to me and to a lot of people who are of the Christian faith. But I would encourage you to read that because I want you to hear what he says, not what I say he says. Um, but I never read either of those books, not because I didn't think they were good. I just never did. I remember how popular they were. I was a youth minister at the time. But I did read enough to know that a little bit of some of that stuff in his books was a little legalistic. It was a little dogmatic, and it was a little, little disturbing. And saying He had some convictions, and he yeah, definitely used Scripture. But I thought, you need to be careful with some of that. I don't know that you can say, thus saith the Lord in all these things. I'm not saying they're bad practices, but some of that. So I knew of them, but, but can't really make a, a complete judgment on that. But I still wonder how someone like him can get to a point where he just go, I'm not a believer anymore. And that's kind of a scary thing. And I bring this up for a... A purpose because through most of the summer we've been going through this letter, First John, and we've been going through it most of the summer. And, and John's letter was to those he was pastoring in the first century. And you know what? A lot of those in his church were going through a faith crisis. They were coming to a point where they go, I don't know if I really believe if this Jesus is who he really says he is because all these other folks out here are saying some other things, and it seems to be a little curious to me to maybe. Try to do both. And John was going, not in this church. We're not going to teach that and we're not going to practice that because it's not true. I was with Jesus. And y'all might be saying, okay, okay, Craig, we get it. You've been saying all summer that Jesus really is the Son of God, that Jesus really died on the cross, that he really rose from the dead, that he really did give his disciples a great commission to make more disciples, and he really empowered those early disciples by the Holy Spirit, and he empowers that. We get it. You've said that all summer long. We get it. Jesus is the real deal, and we need to believe in him. Good. I hope you get it. I hope you believe it. I hope it becomes the foundation of your faith because I really believe without that foundation, we're lost. We're lost without Jesus and his life and his death and his resurrection. And everything we do in our lives should be filtered through that foundational bit about who he is and what he wants for us in our lives. But the reality is that as we move through this journey of life, the, dis, the different seasons of our life, they can test our faith. Some of you might be in middle school right now, and God is doing something to maybe test your faith. Some of you are in high school, and maybe God's doing something to test your faith. Maybe in college, maybe in, in something at your job, something in your marriage, something in your relationship with your parents or your grandparents or whatever. But God is doing something. Maybe it's a health issue, but God is doing something to test your faith. And how are you going to respond to that? Well, John knew about this. He saw it happening in his own life and in his own culture. Y'all know in the last, what, couple of days, there's already been another couple of mass shootings, one in El Paso and one in, I think, in Dayton, Ohio. And you think, man, this is a messed up culture. What is it? And, and like, 
you know, Kevin said, man, we need some encouragement. People get to a point where they're ready to go take a gun and just start picking people off for no reason. Man, that is Satan, y'all. That is when somebody has no hope and no encouragement and they believe it. human life doesn't matter and my human life doesn't matter and they do something crazy like that. It's insane. But listen to what John says. He had a crisis of faith. He grew up as a Jew, as a good Jew, and he knew the Old Covenant. He knew the Old Testament. He knew the, the heroes from the Old Testament, but he had a crisis of faith because Jesus came along and challenged that Old Covenant and says, I'm bringing about a new covenant. And I didn't come to abolish the Old Covenant, but I came to make a completely new one, to fulfill it in my life, death, and resurrection. And so he had a crisis of faith in this old covenant upbringing, in this legalistic culture that his religion was into at the time. And so he had a crisis of faith when he followed Jesus. And from his own gospel in chapter 6, he said this. Jesus had just said something very disturbing. And y'all may have read it in the 6th chapter of John. He talks about, I am the bread of life. And you go, okay, well, that's a symbolism, no big deal. I am the bread of life. And basically, Jesus started saying, unless you eat of me, eat of of my body and drink of my blood, you can't really be worthy of me. And people are going, what in the world is this guy talking about? Is he a cannibal? This is weird, Jesus. People do not want to be a part of somebody that's weird. But Jesus says, I'm not backing off of what I'm talking about. You know I'm talking in a spiritual sense. But listen to what John records Jesus saying about this. On hearing it, Many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? Then what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of the Spirit and life. Yet there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. He went on to say, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled them. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed Jesus. They go, I'm out. You start talking about eating your flesh and drinking your blood. I'm out. You're talking about real commitment. I'm out. Not doing this. And so Jesus turned to his 12 disciples who were standing there kind of going, what did you just do? You just messed up everything for your career, bro. Everybody's leaving. That's not good for PR. And Jesus says, hey, you guys want to leave too, do you? And Simon Peter said, and John records this. John didn't say it, but he remembers Peter saying this. He says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. So I'm not going anywhere. You have the words. I don't understand all that weird eating your flesh and drinking your blood. I'm sure it's symbolic, but I'm just a fisherman. But I've seen you walk on water. I've seen you heal the sick. I've seen you feed the hungry. I know you are the Holy One of God. And I don't have anybody else in my life that has brought all the answers about life as you have. And like Peter after his experience with Jesus, John was forever transformed by what, Je what Jesus said and did. He was convinced that Jesus had introduced this new covenant. And although he didn't understand it completely, he knew that Jesus was the way, the truth, and the life. Not just by his words, but by his actions. And John was completely transformed. So we're going to look at this last um, set of verses in this last fifth chapter of, of John's letter. And listen carefully to what John says. And this is kind of weird too. You'll go, what is he talking about? But just listen. 
So we're going to have that on the screen, hopefully. John chapter, 1 John chapter 5, verses 13 through 21. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. Listen to how many times he says, you know, we know. This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. If you see any brother or sister commit a sin that does not lead to death, you should pray and God will give them life. I refer to those, I refer to those whose sin does not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I'm not saying that you should pray about that. I know. What? All wrongdoing is sin, and there is a sin that does not lead to death. We know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. The one who was born of God keeps them safe, and the evil one cannot harm them. We know that we are children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. We know also that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know Him who is true. And we are in Him who is true by being in His Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. Now there's a lot there and some of it again is kind of like, what? But John is again encouraging, encouraging these Jesus followers under his leadership to have confidence in what you believe. I've seen your lives be transformed, and I have confidence in that. Just because of what's going on in our church recently, and I've reminded y'all that this is a church that had a split. There were people that were leaving because John was going, you're not going to teach that stuff in this church. You're not going to teach people to say, oh, Jesus was just a good guy, but he really wasn't the son of God. You're not going to tell people that their sin doesn't matter. We can't have that teaching. That's false teaching. And so people left the church over it. But let's look a, a little closer at what he's talking about. Yes, their church body has gone through some difficult times. And yes, some people have left because they've rejected those foundational truths about Jesus. But he's saying you must stay the course, just like that song. Stay the course. Jesus is still the Lord. It's still his kingdom. Don't get off track. He also encourages them to have confidence in their personal relationship with Christ and to talk to God about these doubts they have, about the crisis of faith that's going on, maybe even in their own church, if not in their own minds. And he said, just as Jesus modeled this close connection with God the Father through prayer, they have that same access. Jesus' disciples had been to the temple and heard people pray for years and years and years. But when they saw Jesus go off, by himself all the time and pray for hours and hours. They finally went to him one day and go, Jesus, teach us to pray. We've heard all those rabbis and all that stuff they pray and people who do it at the temple, but there's something different about the way you talk to God, and we want to have that access. So teach us how to pray, and Jesus did. And so John is reiterating that same thing. When you pray to God, he'll give you what you ask for. Now, Jesus said this too, and this is sometimes misinterpreted that, What? Anything I ask for, Jesus is going to give me? God's going to give me? This is awesome. Let's write out the checks right now. I'm going to ask for a mega church tomorrow. I'm going to ask for my uh, mortgage to be paid for tomorrow, that my kids will make all A's this year. It's going to be great. But I think we all know that's not exactly what he's talking about. There's a profound connection that occurs in authentic prayer to God in which the unity of our will and God will 
God's will comes together and takes place. We want what God wants because we understand and we recognize who He is and His sovereignty. We want what God wants because we recognize the incredible, amazing love that He has for me and for all of mankind and that there's a plan for all of humanity. And I want that. I want to be a part of that. And so we have to truly seek God's will and God will answer those prayers according to His will. And our requests cannot be these self-centered things like I was just talking about. It's not an invitation to use God as some sort of a vending machine uh, for our personal things that we want Him to come through for. Now in this next section may be awkward, and if y'all heard it, you might be saying, yeah, that was weird. What was John talking about? Um, just like last week, there was a little muddiness in the, in the text there. But he says, pray for someone who has sinned, but only if it doesn't lead to death. And then, what is the sin that leads to death? And why would we not pray for that? Did anybody get confused when you read that? I did. I'm going to try to unpack that a little bit. John doesn't seem to dwell on that sin that leads to death. He doesn't say what it is, and we can make speculations about it, but he doesn't say what it is, but he says, don't worry about that. I want you to pray for your brothers and sisters that have sinned, and you want to bring them back to life. You want to pray for that. Have you ever tried to pray for somebody that, you know is doing something that's destructive and sinful. Have you ever prayed for them? I'm sure all of us have. Maybe you're doing it right now. Have you ever tried to talk to them about that sin? That's a fun conversation, isn't it? Because as soon as you start telling somebody about their sin and that you're convicted, that you're convicted for them and that you want to help them, they go, who are you to tell me? You ever had that conversation? It might be a family member. It might be a son or a daughter or even a mom or a dad or a best friend. And all of a sudden, who are you to tell me? And boy, it's on then. And it's like, why did I even bring it up? I just should have stuck to praying. But you care about that person, don't you? And you are concerned at where their life is going and where this sin is leading them. And, and you want to talk to them about it. But he's saying, so, so pray about that for people that are maybe going off in a direction they shouldn't pray about that. But I also think maybe he's asking for folks to pray for their brothers and sisters who they know have left this church because they've been led astray by somebody who's been deceiving them, that they admired, that they respected, that they liked. And he says, deceived maybe by false teachers. But he makes clear that all wrongdoing is sin. And John may also be referring back to his old covenant days. If we read about in the Old Testament, in temple sacrifice, the rituals provided that there was this distinction between um, unintentional sins and intentional sins. There was different sacrifices and things for those kind of things. So maybe he's talking about that. And maybe John is saying that some people are legitimately led astray into sin while others are consistently and willfully practicing sin, refusing to admit that what they're doing is sinful, and they have no sense of sorrow, no sense of remorse about what they're doing. And he's saying the latter may be a cause that leads to death. Now, he never tells us exactly what it is, and maybe he's saying he never gets into exactly what it is because he's saying, I don't believe that what's going on in our church is anybody's being led to death. But I do want y'all to understand the, the um, seriousness of this. And he says, it leads to death. John is not making a final judgment. He's not sending anybody to hell. But he's making it clear that a path of willful and consistent sin with no repentance is a path leading to spiritual death and separation from God. And you don't want to be there. And he says, I don't want you to be there. We don't want anybody to be there. So pray for your brothers and sisters. 
And so in this next section, John again is trying to instill confidence in these followers to recognize the authentic life change that he says, I've seen taking place in you. I remember when I first came here, what was going on, and y'all have made so many changes, but all of a sudden, there's been some thing in, things in culture, there's been some people in culture that have kind of said some things to you, and you start thinking, wait a minute, maybe Jesus isn't who he said he was. Maybe I really don't have salvation. Maybe I really don't have forgiveness. Or maybe I don't really need to worry about how I live as compared to what I say I believe. And John's going, yes, you do. It all matters. So he breaks it down into three certainties. And notice how many times, again, he uses the word we know. In, the, in this first certainty, he says, he calls it, I believe, transformation or sanctification. Now, sanctification sounds like a real holy church word, doesn't it? But it means it's a work in prog- progress. When you invite God to transform you, to sanctify you, to make you who you, he created you to be in the first place. And we know we get off track sometime with that, don't we? And we have to ask God to come back. This transformation is because they have been born again. John says, you've been born again, and God has promised to keep you safe from the evil one. Now, this brings up a great question. And, y'all, I get this question so many times. People come in, especially new people to our church, and say, hey, do y'all believe, uh, I heard y'all don't believe in once saved, always saved. I I heard y'all believe that people can fall away from their faith. Do you believe that? They're like, what do I answer about that? If I say the wrong thing, are you not going to come to my church anymore? Well, it's clear, and I've shared this before, it's clear in the Bible that Jesus says when you authentically give your life to Christ, he says, no one can snatch you out of my hand. That's assurance. We have assurance of our salvation. But did you notice in that passage I read from John 6 at the very beginning of the sermon that Jesus said there were some among his disciples who he knew said they believed, but he knew they never believed. You go, well, yeah, he was talking about Judas, wasn't he? Maybe he was. But did you remember on that same passage he said many people started not to follow Jesus anymore. They walked away. And I think what we see in the Bible is there's Paul, John, and others talk about there are people that you wonder if they ever really believed in the first place. And John's making it clear that God has promised to keep you safe from the evil one when you authentically come to him. It's not like you can fall away from your faith like Joshua Harris is talking about. I don't, I don't know where he is, and I don't want to be judgmental. But it makes you wonder. And then John reminds us there's this transformation, there's this sanctification that's taking place in the life of you, and it's an ongoing process. But he also reminds his readers in this, uh, of a second certainty that's disintegration or fragmentation. And that happens going on in the world because the world, he says, is under the control of the evil one. Jesus has come and he saved us from our sin. And ultimately, when he comes again, he will right all the wrongs and he will make this world into what he always intended it to be. But until then, Satan still has power and has a lot of people under his thumb in this world. And he's saying those people fail to recognize the need to be transformed. And as a result, they have experienced, he says, even in our own church, we've experienced this disintegration that takes place within relationships, within families, and even in our church body. There's a disintegration because we believe the deceptions and we start to slowly disintegrate from our faith. But then John says there's a third certainty. There's transformation. There's sanctification. And yes, there's disintegration that Satan is trying to do in our world, in our families, in our churches. But there's a third certainty. And he says this. We also... We know also that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know Him who is true. And we are in Him and who is true by being in His Son, Jesus Christ. And He is the true God and eternal life. And so, yes, there's disintegration taking place. 
But so is a much more powerful process, and he calls it redemption. And he says that's happening in your life. Redemption is a process by which lost people are found. It is a process by which hurting people are healed. Jesus demonstrated this in his life and his ministry. Guilty people are forgiven. Shamed people are cleansed and forgiven. Burdened people find rest. And deceived people find the truth and hope. And that's what he's saying here. You are redeemed. Know that. You are redeemed forever. And when people experience that true understanding of who God is and what this sanctification process is, what this redemption process that he offers in Jesus Christ, they know the truth and the truth leads them away from those things that will disintegrate their faith. And that's what John is saying. Don't get caught up into that. It leads to disintegration. Don't do that. Oh, and one last thing John says at the end there. Did you notice he kind of clips that on at the end? What does he say? Dear children, keep yourselves from what? Idols. What? Where did that come from? He knows that there's idols all over. It might be some people who are well-talked, well-argument, uh, can make well, good arguments that, that have been leading people away. He says, don't get caught up in idols. But really, an idol is anything that we give more time and attention to than God. Anybody convicted from that de- definition? I can tell you, I watched more baseball this week than I did time in my Bible. Now, y'all can laugh and say, hey, man, me too, I did. There's nothing wrong with that, Craig. Are you saying the brazier of the devil? No. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying I realize sometimes as I'm watching a two-and-a-half, three-hour game is, wow, this could be an idol. We have to be careful. And John's saying, remember, there's things that will take your time and attention away from God, and it will disintegrate your faith. And disintegrate is not something that happens all of a sudden. It's a slow erosion of our faith, and he's reminding these folks of that. So this morning, I want to ask you, as you think about crisis of faith, and you might be in one right now, I don't know, and maybe you think, ah, that'll never happen to me, I'm good. I love Jesus, it's all good. But I promise you, something in your life will happen, and it will test your faith, and that's not a bad thing. That means God's wanting to know what you're really made of, how much you are really committed to Him, how much you really trust Him. And so do you have that confidence in the power of what God knows about me and you? Do you realize he knows everything about me and you? I can hide all my junk from you. My skeletons in my closet you'll never know about. I'll never know about yours. But we know, the truth is we know that God knows all about those skeletons and he died for us anyway. Is that amazing? That is amazing grace. And he offers us that redemption anyway through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. I want to show a a video this morning of a song. Y'all may have heard it on the radio a good bit, but I think it works really good here for how sometimes in life nobody really sees it, but we're slowly disintegrating in our faith to a point that we have lost hope. And so this is a, a video by King and Country called God Only Knows, and I want you to just watch this, and hopefully it speaks to you.
down to sleeping Too afraid of what might show up while you're dreaming Nobody, nobody, nobody sees you Nobody, nobody will believe you And every day you try to pick up all the pieces All the memories, they somehow never leave you Nobody, nobody, nobody sees you Nobody, nobody will believe you God only knows what you've been through God only knows what they say about you God only knows how it's killing you But there's a kind of love that God only knows God only knows what you've been through God only knows what they say about you But God only knows the real you There's a kind of love Pretty powerful video, isn't it? <clears throat> I know that school starts tomorrow, and a lot of y'all in here are not happy about that. But this video, to me, says there's people that you're getting ready to encounter. And I'm talking to you middle schoolers and high schoolers, specifically, and you teachers. And, and there's even people at your work, those of you who are in the work and in college, but there's people who are feeling like that girl that are lost and... And John is saying, God.
God only knows, but because God knows, we know what the truth is. And we've got to get that out to people. We've got to be aware of hurting people, not so self-absorbed in our own lives that we miss those around us who are hurting. You know, when I, when I first saw that video, and I'm like, oh, no. And I'm so glad that they rewound it, and you see that girl coming out. And so God is calling us to be that person that comes out and says, hey, are you okay? Are you all right? So how many of y'all are teachers here? Raise your hand. Don't be ashamed. Okay, yeah, thank you. Let's clap for them. Thank you for our teachers. I know in my life, I remember my teachers, and they all had a profound impact on me. Whether they were my favorites or not, they all had a, a profound effect on me. And when kids are coming to school every day with a lot of junk, y'all, that teachers have to absorb and try to deal with, that's an amazing thing. So we want to pray for you this morning, teachers. All right, I want to I see my middle school and high school students. Raise your hand. Don't be ashamed. I know you don't want to go back, but you got to go back, all right? But I want to say to you, I hope that you know, and teachers too, I hope you all know that you have a foundation in Christ and you will carry that with you and know that, be confident in that. Now, I just say, how many of you are confident as middle schoolers and high school? How many of you are confident in your faith? Raise your hand right now. Go ahead. Okay, good. Okay, that's good. But tomorrow, you're going to have to walk through those doors and guess what? It's going to be challenged. And if I showed up at your school and I was at the door and I go, hey, are you confident in your faith? You're going, what are you doing here? Why are you here, lunatic? That was okay at church, but why are you here? Now, we laugh about that, but we know it's true, don't we? That's a different environment. You can't talk about the Jesus stuff here, but man, that's where the rubber meets the road. That's where you can save somebody's life. Because you display who Jesus is in your life. And there's a world that needs to know and have confidence that they can be forgiven and God can take them right where they are and start transforming their life into who he wants them to be. And you can be someone who helps with that. So I want to pray for our middle schoolers and high schoolers. And if there's some elementary in here too, but I'm just assuming mostly. So all of y'all who are teachers or kids, raise your hand again. Okay, if you're around somebody that raised their hand, I want you to just put a hand on them and we're going to pray for them right now. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for John's letter in a, in a, in a culture that he lived in that was crazy. There were things going on that John and the people in his church thought would never happen in their culture, but they were. They thought their church would never split, but it was. They saw things happening in their schools and in their environments that they thought, this is crazy, Lord. And you were encouraging them. And Father, 2,000 years later, you're saying through that same letter, don't give up. It's God's kingdom. God knows all this, and he has brought you sanctification. Yes, there's fragmentation. Yes, there's disintegration. But there is ultimately redemption. Father, give these teachers confidence that you've called them to, to shape these young people's lives. Give them patience and endurance and sensitivity and discernment, Father, as they deal with things that kids are coming to school with and they take it out on their teachers and other students and they don't even know what's going on in their heart and mind. Help teachers... Father, give them an extra measure of your Holy Spirit to be able to help those kids. And Father, I pray for these students. Man, there is so much stuff going on in our culture with their phones and the internet and the social media. And, and Father, I pray you will remind them of their foundation in Jesus Christ. That they won't get into things that are going to disintegrate their, their faith away. 
Help them to have good friends like we saw in the video that will run after them and put an arm around them and say, hey, I love you, don't do this. Let's get this straightened up. Help them to be that type of friend. Help them to have friends that will be that friend that will come to them and put their arm around them and say, man, I'm worried about you. So we pray for that right now as they start school, Father. And when they walk in those doors tomorrow, you will give them a confidence. You will give them a nudge that the Holy Spirit is in their heart and that they can be a witness for you in that school. Not in a weird, crazy, megaphone-type, crazy guy way, but in a way that people go, what is it about you? Why do you have joy? Why do you have confidence? And they'll be able to ask them and they'll be able to share their faith.